everyone, Soundlord here again. This is part two of our Black Panther episode. If you recall, it was so long we had to split it into two. And the audio quality was so bad that it took me a very long time to edit, so I do apologize for the delay. Please, once again, bear with me. Uh, we really wanted you to be able to hear this episode, so I apologize for the uh, subpar audio. But uh, we worked really hard to get it out here for you. So without further ado, Black Panther, part two. There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I'm for the faster baby. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. While Ross heals, Shuri shows him the technology of Wakanda. I rewatched this movie again um, for this show, and this scene was really fun for me because Shuri describing the technology, like there's a point where she sort of is like closed off to Ross. She doesn't want to talk to him. And then he starts talking about the amazing technology, and she just can't help herself because she needs to talk about all these cool inventions and all the cool technology she's invented. She like just kind of almost gets giddy to the point of where she's just like, all right, well, I'm going to tell this person everything. Uh-huh. Well, and Ross is almost disarmed by learning about it. And it's, I, I think um, both of their reactions throughout the scene, I agree with you, Shuri, more so, but both of their reactions to the scene, it was one that I don't think I noticed the first time I watched and the second time I'm with you. It was, it was a weirdly fascinating scene for something so simple. That's where she calls him a colonizer. Yes. <laughs> Shuri's so great. She's so good, dude. She's so good. I I remember leading up to because Infinity War is next, and I remember oh, don't remind leading me. up to Infinity ready. War. My thought was, oh, I can't wait to see the Avengers and the Guardians together. That's gonna be so much fun. And then I watch out of Black Panther going, Shuri better be in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the scenes with Shuri and the sort of smart people in the Avengers universe are some of the best scenes because oh, yeah. it's clear that she is smarter than them. No, it's canon. Uh-huh. They like said that she's the smartest. Yeah, she's smart. Yeah, like when she's explaining all this stuff about Vision to Bruce and she's like, how come you didn't try that? And he goes, because I didn't think of it. And she's like, <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure you tried your best. <laughs> <laughs> so the tech is revealed to be largely byproducts of the power of vibranium. Shuri shows off massive underground rail systems for shipping the vibranium Lined with sonic stabilizers, she designs to keep the vibranium stable at high speeds. They are interrupted with news about Steven's arrival, and Ross recognizes him as former U.S. Black Ops soldier codenamed Killmonger. Killmonger arrives in the throne room of T'Challa and accuses them of sitting comfortably while uh, people, his people, specifically African-American people around the world, suffer. People of just African descent. He reveals himself to be the ruling council uh, as he reveals himself to the ruling council as Njaka, son of Unjobu, and challenges T'Challa to ritual combat for the throne. That's where he says, hi, auntie, and that probably already talked about, but oh my god, it's yes. so good. Yes. Uh-huh. Something the way the music swells when he says it. And he just, throughout this movie, has such a, he's such a presence. He's like this... There's almost sort of a gravitas to where whenever he is on screen, you can't help but to watch him and what he is doing at all times. Yep. Um, and part of it is the duality of the world that he is in, the sort of regal, formal world that he is thrust into. 
or that he has thrust himself into, I should say. And he is not of this world, but understands its customs. But is you know he sort of shares in the culture, but then he sort of introduces his culture, the culture that he understood. He's a he's a kid from Oakland, right? Absolutely, and that he really like shows that throughout the movie. Uh huh. Um. So while his family tries to stop him, T'Challa agrees with the council's claims, and the challenge is legitimate. So he accepts the challenge. That idiot. Uh, the two <laughs> combat above the waterfall, but Njaka's training proves to be too much for T'Challa without the powers of the Panther, and he gains the upper hand in a vicious slugfest. You know, I, I hate watching this scene. It, like, hurts to watch. So, yeah. All the cuts. I like it so much more in the final fight because it feels so visceral and real. It doesn't yeah. feel CG. It, it feels so, I don't know, compelling, which is the word we keep using for when Killmonger's on screen, but no, he's like literally like beating the crap out of yeah. him. It is very compelling. It's just it's hard to watch. It's the most emotionally charged fight scene in this movie. Yes, too. agreed. I mean, you get the spectacle of the final battle, and then there you get within it the two Black I mean, Panthers fighting each other. But this is two Black I Panthers. I think it's the most emotionally. Fight. No, keep going. I was gonna say, but but this fight, it's you know, it is T'Challa versus Killmonger, and it is the ideals versus the the other ideals. I mean, I feel like it's the most emotionally charged fight scene in the MCU, unless I'm missing one. I would say maybe Cap and Iron Man. Oh, maybe Thor and Loki on the Bifrost at the end of Thor. That's about it. It's it's top three, and you could place it anywhere in that top three, and I would not argue against you. Well, <laughs> so. The lines that he says just before the fight, how we talked about how he had to kill his brothers and sisters just to get yeah. where he is, so you sort of... Every time Killmonger is on screen, even with the dialogue that he is having with another person, his character development continues to grow. You get more understanding of him as a character just by the dialogue he is having with someone else, which is a really, really smart and I think a, a really great thing to do because you don't get that in a lot of these movies. You get dialogue and character development and not dialogue and character development all happening at the same time. And, and I think it's important also to point out that he, he kills Zuri in the scene too. Spoiler. Yeah, well, it's, he, it's the next note. That's the next note, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's the next. It's, it's, it's next. I, I figured it was going to come up, but I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, that's and the that's, note. Like... I mean, that's the note. Zuri dies. Zuri tries to get <laughs> yeah, in there and he dies. That's the note. Yeah. And, and you know, he's, he says, he says, take me instead. It's This is my fault. You know, like, it's, it's his fault that he was, that when his father was killed, he was left behind and abandoned. They could have taken him in and brought him to Wakanda and maybe things would have been different. Maybe things would have turned out better. Uh, who knows? But he, along with T'Chaka, made the decision to abandon him, which uh, which when, when Zuri explains that to T'Challa earlier in the movie, T'Challa points out what a horrible decision that was, how it was irresponsible and immoral and you know, all these other things. And how that created something far worse by doing that. So when he says, take me, and he says, I'll take you both, and he kills him. He says, I'll take you both, Uncle James. Uncle James. Which, mm -hmm. which oh, is using really important his American because it name. shows that they had a relationship, that when he was yeah. younger, he had a relationship with this person. And he remembered this person so much so that when he got there, he made it a point to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, I think it's... Calling him Uncle James is such an important detail. Like it's not just James; it's Uncle James. He's one of those people where his father was so close to him that even though they weren't blood related, he was an uncle. 
you know, and, and, and I think there are a lot of, a lot of people don't necessarily have that, but that's something that you understand. And for him to kill his uncle, uh, basically, I mean, that, that is, uh, I mean, that, that's just a great, sad scene. That you had something to say. You no, can't... I thought you were just going to talk about the, is this your king thing? Because you quote that, like, all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just really emotional, and it's hard to watch. Yeah. It's tough. It's a tough scene. Everybody, well, and it's because you've already got, we already had the waterfall scene earlier, right? And that scene is filled with so much hope. And, like, there's, like, so much excitement in the people that are there. And even when T'Challa is, like, on the ropes at the first scene, you know he's going to pull through. And in this one, it's almost like there's just heartbreak. And and there's there's passion. And there's there's so much anger there. And it's funny that they have these two scenes. They're basically not the same scene, but they're very similar because they're set in the same setting. They have sort of the same context in a lot of ways. But they are almost polar opposites in the way that they feel Mm -hmm. so like we said zuri dies poor guy um and then he throws t'challa over a waterfall after like stabbing him in the stomach um shuri nakia ross and t'challa's mother flee into the jungle they try nakia tries to get okoye on her side like chris talked about earlier but it it does not work because okoye is loyal to the throne Njaka, killmonger is given the heart-shaped herb and has a vision in the 1992 Oakland apartment of his father. Goodness gracious, Sterling K. Brown. Sterling K. Brown is so good, and I wish he was in this movie more, and I wish he wasn't killed so, like, basically at the beginning of it. Uh-huh. And we luckily get a little bit more of him throughout the movie, but he is just so good, and there is so much heartbreak in the scene, because it almost feels like, like, Njobu knows what's happening. He knows what his son is going to do. And he's almost, it almost feels like he's trying to talk him out of it at some points. Mm-hmm. And it, you can tell that he like didn't, it didn't work. And like a tear goes down his face and it is so good. That man is so good at crying. It's so good. <laughs> you ever see his SNL monologue? No, no. It, it's all based on how he always does these dramatic crying roles and how good <laughs> he is at it. <laughs> but it's, it's very funny. Well, Njobu expresses remorse at being abandoned by Wakanda, but Njaka reasons that Wakandans are the ones who were lost. Njaka orders all the remaining herbs burned, but Nakia manages to steal one. And this... Go ahead. I was going to say, I wanted to say just about the that scene, first of all. the um, I love the visuals of that scene because the, uh, the ancestral plane, uh, when T'Challa goes there, it's like the African plains, but the sky is purple and orange and it's very otherworldly and what's i think it's very striking when we see killmonger's version of it because it's his apartment you know in oakland but outside the window it's the purple and the orange and all that and it's just such a striking visual uh how i think this movie is most certainly the most spiritual of any of the marvel movies and and seeing that really interesting juxtaposition of this this spiritual plane uh with a very normal american setting i i think is just really great and then as you said the performances in it from uh from both actors and the kid who plays uh plays young young killmonger because he does revert to a child for a moment i actually looked up his name seth carr is who plays young eric and it's just a such a powerful scene Anyway, continue. Well, I like that there's there's a shot of him as a child. 
the next shot of him is the adult, and it's like I feel like it's representing like the final death of his innocence in that scene. And, and what's amazing to me is that it feels like the same performance too. Yeah. I think that I, I'm just so blown away by the kid in that scene. And you see the hardening of the child when he says, no tears for your father. And the kid responds, everyone dies. Like, that's just the reality to him. And and that says a lot about where he's been, not just, you know, when he joined the, the military and all those other things, but that that was probably his reality for him as a child, too. I mean, if you look historically, Oakland 1992, the riots and all of that. You know, that's that's just reality for that kid. And it's hardened him to the point where his father dies. And that's how he feels about it. It's just such a I mean, that scene makes Killmonger's character. So when he when he does the like burning of the the herbs, there are my two favorite shots of maybe the entire MCU. So specifically after all the herbs are burned, there is a shot of you see the back of Killmonger and he is standing where all the heart-shaped herbs are, and it's all burning down. And then it cuts to the throne room, but the shot is upside down, and it sort of mm-hmm. pans around to the, like, forward shot of him sitting on the throne. That, the music, just everything, you just, like, you feel it. Killmonger doesn't say a word, and you feel his character, and he sits on the throne, and you can tell that he feels at home there. And it just, everything just comes together in that point. And guys, it's time. Let's talk about Killmonger. For the first time. For the first time in this whole podcast. <laughs> Killmonger. And the last time. <laughs> Killmonger is my favorite character in this movie. And I think it, he stands head and shoulders above everyone else. We've already talked about his gravitas. And I, I want to talk about him in relation to other MCU villains. Because I find him as the most compelling MCU villain. Um, I think... The next closest villain you could talk about is probably Thanos. I think anybody who would say that there is that if there's going to be a compelling MCU villain, it'd be Thanos. But I think what they are able to do with Killmonger in one movie, they there needed to be so much more to make Thanos to flesh Thanos out. Um, I also I've already talked about it, but I kind of sympathize with Killmonger and some of the things he says, and I kind of like feel like I would do a lot of the same things in his shoes, whereas I understand what Thanos wants, but I don't feel like I would ever be like, kill half the population of everything in the universe. So I feel like there's, in, in a lot of ways, I find Killmonger a more relatable character. I find him a little bit more of a, a developed character, and he, he doesn't get as much character development as Thanos does. That Thanos gets a lot more screen time, and he gets a lot more, I think, room to work with throughout the, the entirety of the MCU. But I think what Killmonger does, um, and the role that he is playing, and part of it is Killmonger is fantastic, and he's elevated by a fantastic ensemble cast around him. And he is elevated by the music, but he is also, um, Michael B. Jordan is also putting on the performances of his career, man. This is a career-defining performance. You know, you, you're going to look back, and this is going to be one of those, you know, really, really important performances in all superhero movies and a lot of movies in general. And I think this movie would not have been successful if it didn't strike lightning in a bottle with Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. Agreed. I. Some people said that he, because some people kind of critiqued his performance. Like I heard mixed reviews about specifically Michael B. Jordan about how he was like overacting and like doing the most. But I feel like Killmonger doesn't work unless you put this much into it. Um, And I don't think anyone here 
uh, thinks that Michael B. Jordan wasn't great, so I don't think we need to argue anything. There, there no, are I want to argue with those people, people that aren't on this podcast. That's what I want to argue with. Get them on I'll here send right you now. some Haley calls pieces. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read them. I want to argue with them on the podcast. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll just skip to the end of their think piece without reading it and, and argue with them. Later. I'm only going to read the title and then retweet it yeah. with anger. Um, what objectively is him overacting? I can't think of a scene where he's... Does he yell too much? I don't know. I guess in too. contrast to people in the movie that are more reserved, but like Eduardo pointed out that that's intentional, that it's very like regal and Wakanda yeah. has like just a certain way about the people right, and, and he yeah. like he has to portray that he's an outsider. So he's I a think... loud American. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. They think it was just going to show up to Wakanda for the first time in his life and be soft-spoken like, like T'Challa. Yeah. Like, he's Killmonger. He's not. I, I don't have a joke. He's not Killmonger. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will say that I and I've said before that I find him sympathetic and everything, but. The scene where he burns the heart-shaped herb, I think that is what makes him. You know, I think that's kind of cements him as a villain, though. Because thank you for taking my next. It shows that he. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll let you. No, keep it. going. Keep going. I was just gonna say it shows that he doesn't care about Wakanda either. Yeah. He just wants revenge. I mean, and he is destroying Wakandan culture as well. And granted, I understand that he's angry at Wakanda for abandoning him uh, when he was a kid, but he's. And Ross points us out that this is what he's been trained to do in the CIA is that he goes in after an election or after a transfer of power, destabilizes the government and kind of takes it down from within. And that's what he's doing with Wakanda. Makes this transfer of power. They're in flux. And then he goes in and starts burning down literally the the lifeblood of their culture. And, and I think that's, you know, that he doesn't care about their traditions. Yeah, I'm angry you said that because I was going to say it, but I'm happy you said it because it means I'm not alone in that this going into the heart-shaped herb scene in the back of my mind was, okay, is he sympathetic with tough means to an end or is he actual villain just with a sympathetic origin? And I think that this scene cemented it as you can understand where he's coming from, but he's not like a tough but good guy. He is he is lawful evil, not like uh, what, what would be the the chaotic neutral? I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, and so it was interesting. Chaotic good is what what my spouse is telling me I should be saying. Um, I I don't I don't do this stuff. But and and I'm wondering if we both had the same takeaway. If that was the intention of that scene is to really let you know, okay, these are his actual motivations. His actual motivations are not. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna crack a few skulls, but in the end, I'm I'm in it for the good fight. Uh, you know, he's he's in it for his own ambitions, and if that means burning down his what should be his home country and choking people, then that so be it. Um, but I'm completely with Eduardo on him being the most compelling villain in the MCU. He's probably not my personal favorite because I have a soft spot for you know big epic over the top villains, but that doesn't. But in terms of the personality and the character, I think Killmonger is exactly what Eduardo said, head and shoulders in terms of um, how compelling he is over anything else in the franchise. Yeah, he's a good man. Also, Michael B. Jordan is 
jacked in this movie. Yes. He is just, even with the little, like, weird kill beads he has throughout his whole body. Kill beads. <laughs> I don't know. What What would you, what do you call them? They're like scars. Yeah, they're scars. They're not yeah, scars because scarred. they're like. They're not? Well, he has. No, they're scars. He's scarred himself. But how do you get it to like? So what it reminds me of Eduardo. Yeah, they look like bubbles to me. What it reminds me of Eduardo is there was a guy that used to play for the Seahawks that when he was a kid wanted a tattoo, and how he made that tattoo was he shaped a, um, uh, a clothes hanger and put it in the oven and then put it on his arm. That's what yeah. Michael B. Jordan's scars look like to me. That sounds yeah, horrible. I always just assumed he had like shoved something like he scarred himself by like. Shoving something in his skin. Oh, I think he gave himself second. Why can't you not? Anyways, I'm looking this up right now. Either way, he's jacked in this movie, dude. He is like ripped. And like, there are a lot of people in this movie who are all super ripped. Michael B. Jordan, even he has to outact everybody and he also has to be the most ripped person there. Like, he just has to be just like at the top of everything in this movie. You're always like the first person to talk about like someone being like attractive. Well, it's objective, (laughs) Bailey. Nobody here is arguing with me. It's true. (laughs) <laughs> none of us bring it up because we know he will so he'll be yeah killmonger is just good man he's just he's just good movie and he he really elevates this movie for me personally and i think for a lot of us here he really just does a fantastic job elevating the movie so shuri nakia ross and t'challa's mother uh, <laughs> flee to jabari country for help planning to offer the remaining herb to mbaku and we get a lot of the women in this movie together, but there are a lot of women in this movie just in general. Mm-hmm. And I have a woman sitting next to me. Jesus. <laughs> you brought in a woman. So who to talk better about, to talk about so Who that? better to talk about this, about the women, than the woman? I know we keep breezing past all of the female characters because all you want to do is talk about Killmonger, but there are. You know, you are also on this podcast if you talk about anybody who you I feel like we have not at all breezed past Shuri. I feel like she's gotten a lot of talk. She's not the we only have talked a lot about Shuri. Yeah. woman in this movie. Anyways. I feel like we haven't talked enough about Okoye. I agree. I don't I don't know what we've had that we should have called special attention to other than the spear thing, but I will happily talk about Okoye. Okay, well, we'll we're let do it right first. now. Make me. Because the men are talking over me. <laughs> so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you were, but not in, like, an offensive way. (laughs) Just in the normal way we talk over everybody. We talk over your husband all the time. (laughs) So, I wanted to discuss the women of Wakanda because I feel like the MCU oftentimes is lacking in female characters. And not just lacking in female characters, but lacking in female characters that aren't there just to be, you know... Someone that sleeps with Tony Stark, or someone that is someone's love interest, or someone that's like a waitress in a restaurant. Um, all of the women in this movie have kind of core um, roles, and they all exist independently of, you know, their significant other, or they don't even have a significant other, um, because women can sometimes be in movies just to serve a role that has nothing to do with relationship believe it or not um so i chris talked about this scene a lot but um nakia and akoye they had like a really um good discussion about like what they stand for and it's just two women having a conversation that has nothing to do with a man 
Um, I mean, they kind of are talking about T'Challa, but really they're talking about Wakanda as a whole. And I honestly think that most other Marvel movies don't have a scene like this. It passes the Bechdel test? women. Yes, I know that, like, it's kind of just arbitrary rules, but I think a decent amount of the Marvel movies either fail it or, like, barely pass, and it's, like, random, like, throwaway lines of, like, Pepper Potts, like, talking to a journalist for a second. Like, um... And also, I would argue that most of the women in this movie are more interesting than T'Challa. Like, T'Challa, he is a king. He's just doing his best. But I think the women that surround him are kind of critical to who he is. Like, Shuri, she is kind of like the brains behind the operation. Akoye is like a really badass warrior. Um, Nakia, she is his love interest, but she is a humanitarian. Um, and then his mom, she's just kind of a mom, but <laughs> I feel like the women around him are, uh, kind of what supports T'Challa, like, throughout the movie. Does anyone else have any? No, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I, the movie is full of, full of yeah, strong. Good job, women. Bailey. <laughs> and, uh, I think, I, I remember reading an interview with Ryan Coogler shortly after this came out, and he said that was something that was very important to him because... He's had a lot of strong women women in his life who, you know, since his childhood. And that's just, you know, something that he believes very strongly in, which is also why he brought in, I mean, uh, we, we talked about the Oscar winners. Uh, he brought in, you know, women as part of his crew as well, because he wants to be surrounded by, by, the, by, by different viewpoints, uh, you know, in the creative process. And I think that does come through in this. I'm not trying to give Ryan Coogler the credit for women being great in this movie. Um, so please don't take it that way because I'm realizing how it sounds. Um, but I will say that when, when someone gets a position of power, creative power, and uses it to elevate other voices that might not get elevated otherwise, then that, that is a good thing. Um, and, oh gosh, I mean, I, Lupita Nyong'o has like, become one of my favorite actresses, I think, in the past few years. Like, I, even, even like in Star Wars, I mean, she's just the voice in Star Wars, and I think she's great in that. And I loved her in Us, and I think she's great in this. And I think uh, uh, Denai Guerrero as Okoye is absolutely fantastic. Um, I I strongly thought that this movie should have had a few people nominated for acting awards. I think Michael B. Jordan is the obvious one, but talking about the women, I think that. Uh, I, I was really hoping that Denai Guerrero would get a nomination for Best Supporting Actress yeah. because I thought she was one of the strongest, not not in the strong character way, but I think like she was one of the strongest performances and, and best characters in this movie. And and going back to that scene between her and Nakia, like that scene is just uh, she acts the hell out of that scene. Both of them do, uh, but but I, I think her especially just like really uh, like she owns that role. We haven't even gotten here yet, but can I tell you my favorite Okoye scene? Please. There is a point where they're doing the big battle, and um, Daniel Kaluuya's character is riding on a rhino, and he rides it. He was getting, he's about to yes. take out Mbaku. I know where you're going. And she steps in uh -huh. front of it, and he like gets off, and he like tells her to put down a weapon. She says no, and he said, would you kill me? And she says, for Wakanda? Without question. Mm -hmm. And she like yeah. delivers that lot. There's like some like venom in there, and she's just like, Without quite, like, you don't even know. I would kill you 
right here, right uh-huh. now. You better back up. Yeah, and everyone like stops and is watching them because it's uh-huh. like they're like a couple. Like, it's like if I like was like, I'm gonna kill you right now. You better calm down. <laughs> For America, without question. <laughs> one of the one of the strong thoughts I had watching this, and I know that we 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 talked about this some offline, and I fleshed it out a little bit as I was thinking about it. Maybe not enough, but I fleshed it out some. Is okay, so we we talk about MVPs on this this show. So we have got this little sports comparison, and you know, in sports, teams have you know what they call their role players, and sometimes role players are actually just not very good players that fans really like because they hustle or whatever. Um, a lot of times, though, what a role player is is it's someone who it's a bad way of saying this person is actually good. They're just not the MVP player. They're doing important things. They are. Uh, the team would not be as good without them. They're doing little stuff that is actually valuable but not as recognizable, like a high on-base percentage guy in baseball who doesn't hit for a lot of power, that sort of thing. Like Those those people matter, and those people make the 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 whole better. And to me, Okoye is that in every movie she's in in the MCU, starting with this one, she's not the MVP. Mm-hmm. She's not carrying the film the way Michael B. Jordan is. But she's great in every scene she is. She has great moments, and the, and the movie is way better for her being in it. And I think the next movie we're going to talk about is the same thing. She is, um, ends up being such a significant character despite having not nothing to work with, but relatively little to work with. She makes a huge impact. There's a reason people were upset her name wasn't on the uh, Endgame poster. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can get into that and how that, you know, that's her agent's fault, but, uh, because that's how posters work, but, uh, but still, like, like, that character made an impact, uh, and as through the writing, through her performance, everything, uh, just, what a great, I mean, it's just it's so cool, <laughs> you know? Anybody else want to talk about the women? Their last chance. We can't talk about them after now. <laughs> uh, do you want me to just really... You want me to just really quickly say that I think Shuri should be future Iron Man? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think Shuri should be future Iron Man. There you go. <laughs> no, so for the for those of you that know about comics, you might know what I'm going to say. And uh, I think maybe I've talked about this before. I don't know if I've done it on the podcast. But there is a character in uh, the Marvel comics called whose name is Riri Williams. R-I-R-I Williams. And she is like a teenage student at like MIT or something mm-hmm. and she builds out of like just scrap parts that the the college has she builds an iron man suit and she does some stuff with it it gets her in trouble tony stark finds out and ends up like endorsing her becoming the next iron man quote unquote but she takes up the name iron heart instead of iron man and i think that shuri being the super genius she is and with infinity war slash endgame getting Tony out of the MCU, if Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe wanted to bring an Iron Man character back, they could easily do it with Shuri. Because they could make Shuri and Riri Williams kind of merge into one character. Or they could bring a Riri Williams in, but I think that Shuri is the perfect candidate if they don't want to write in all of those other Avengers that are kind of associated with Riri. Like all the young Avengers. Like Viv... Vision and all of those, uh, like spawn yeah. of current Avengers. <laughs> well, we are getting we are getting Miss Marvel, and I know she's on the Champions with Riri. So... Yeah, that's true. And maybe I think... we will get Riri, but and, and I think I... if they 
I, was say, I think if they don't bring her in, Shuri is a great candidate to make that crossover. And even if they do, I think Shuri should be involved with it because yeah. I think like the most recent comic arc of, of Ironheart had her going to Wakanda and she's been working with Shuri. Okay. So so I think that uh, either like if they do bring in Riri, I think Shuri should be a part of it. I think that would be really Can you cool. imagine though a Wakandan Iron Man suit? I mean Tony's a genius, but like he doesn't <laughs> oh, have yeah. vibranium. Now I think and I could be wrong, but the virtual reality um the void uh, Marvel experience they have right now in certain places, I think that they are Wakandan Iron Man suits that you wear not when you're place, participating. Not the place that I live. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. You can thank contracts from 1992 for that. Yeah, <laughs> thanks 1992. Well, <laughs> oh, that's when Njobu died. Uh, contracts. <laughs> Coincidence? It's all coming together now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Umbaku then reveals to the group the frozen, the living body of T'Challa. T'Challa's alive! What? The title character is alive? <laughs> uh, they give him the heart-shaped herb, and T'Challa sees his father again on the ancestral plane, this time pleading with T'Challa to give up and join his ancestors. T'Challa demands answers about Njaku's death, and T'Chaka claims it was to, wall- to allow Wakanda to hide. Oh, and just really briefly, we get some good M'Baku moments here because at the beginning of the movie, he's introduced and you're like, he looks kind of scary and kind of mean and he is very funny in this scene, I think. Doesn't he make a joke about how he's going to like... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) M'Baku is like a sleeper character for me. I love every time he's on screen. Uh I love... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that I love the actor too. Um... But I forgot his name. Winston. It starts with a W. Winston. Winston there it is. He's also yeah. like super jacked. Like he is. He is huge in this movie, but in a different way. He he's like studied, He also studied drama at Yale with Lupita oh, wow. Nyong'o. Yeah, so they're both really smart, um, and have known each other for a long time. And then they were both in Us. He was good, but I don't think he was Oscar good the way I thought Lupita was. We should just see yeah. us. You've mentioned it many times. <laughs> Have you not seen it? No. no, we haven't seen it. Oh, you gotta see it. I, I really like it. You can watch it, watch it and tell me if you liked it and then we can be mad about the Oscars together because I thought it should have been nominated <laughs> for, for a few things. I thought watch she should have been nominated. I thought she should have been nominated for score. Um, anyway. Watch that instead of, uh, of Midsummer. Okay. Eduardo. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do like when Umbaku barks at Ross. Yeah. And they all just yeah. start barking at Ross. Like, I love that. Uh, it's really good. And when they're having that, you know, that tender scene, that emotional scene, and he just yawns and goes, yes. are we done? I, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> um, so while we're still in the, uh, the ancestral plane, T'Challa claims that Wakanda cannot hide from the world forever and vows to go back and fight the monster his father created. As in this actually ties back to something Shuri said at the very beginning when she's talking about wanting to improve on the uh, on the Kamoya beads. And he goes, well, I need to improve. And she goes, how many times do I have to teach you? Just because something works doesn't mean it can't mm-hmm. be improved. And that's the theme of the movie right there, which I never caught on to until this last time I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's so Deep, good. Man. This movie's so <laughs> good. Um, so as in Jaka, Killmonger, now wearing his own Black Panther suit, plans to send weapons to New York 
London and Hong Kong. T'Challa challenges his cousin. He shows up and is like, I did not die and I did not submit. So, you know, the challenge is still on. The Wakandan army splits in their loyalties and a civil skirmish begins. This includes pitting Okoye and her army a against skirmish? Her <laughs> against her lover. Yeah, it's just it's just for practice. <laughs> against the practice her lover, Wakavi, and his men, with the Jabari arriving to support T'Challa. Ross, a former Air Force pilot, flies a remote-controlled jet in Shuri's lab to shoot down the planes carrying the weapons while Shuri arms herself and... and yeah. Like, he willingly puts himself in danger to help this country and to help the greater good, which I don't think is something Ross at the start of the movie would have done. No, I don't think so either. I think part of the... I think Ross feels a little guilty by the end of this movie. I think by the end of this movie, he's like, I feel kind of guilty. I should help these people. Also, they, like, saved his life. They did save his life. Might as well. She's like, you brought me another white boy to fix. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> what, what other white she boys have like, been brought to Genuinely fix? excited. She's talking well, about... at least one um, of them. Bucky. Oh, yeah, Bucky okay, Bucks. you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. That's why I said we should talk about it, not just that there's random white boys. <laughs> just kind yeah. of making their way into Wakanda. <laughs> you know what's interesting is that they call Bucky the White Wolf, and White Wolf is actually a um, Black Panther villain. Mm-hmm. Um. But obviously, Bucky at at this point in time is not a Black Panther villain, so sure. it's kind of weird that they took that alias and gave it to Bucky. I don't know if there's any they're just writing off the villain or just like yeah, I don't not know. or what. Because a lot of people are like, "Oh wow, what does this mean for Bucky's future?" And this, and then the next thing they announced about him was, "We're making a TV show called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier." It's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I think there's unless a they're going to rename it Captain America and the White Wolf. We will get right. to this when we talk about does it fit in the MCU, but I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between this movie and the rest of the MCU. And so I think some of the things that maybe were introduced or like were kind of this one and Thor Ragnarok more than any of them, I think were like, oh, look at these concepts, and then the next movie decides we're going to go in a different direction with some of these. Concepts. Interesting. Um, you might be right. So Okoye holds Wakabi at spirit point, and Wakabi realizes the death happening all around him, and he surrenders. Njaka nearly kills Shuri, but is stopped by T'Challa. The two fall down into the vibranium mine and fight on the transport rails with the sonic disruptors disarming their suits. Chris talked about this earlier, but I'm not going to necessarily go to bat for this scene, but I will say it is not as bad as people tend to talk about it. I don't think it is a, I don't think it's like good CGI, and I don't think this scene in particular is like a great scene, but I don't think it's as bad as some people are like, oh wow, this looks like a 90s cartoon, and it's not I don't think I don't it's think that, it's that bad. I think it's below the standard of the MCU, which is a higher standard than most other films. I think it's yeah. below the standard of the rest of the Yeah, film. I also agree with that. I think <laughs> no. I think if you compare it to the to the rest of the MCU, it it does feel like it right. didn't have as much care put into that scene in particular. But I don't think it's bad like if you immediately afterwards watch any DC film, it right. looks like it'll look oh, like a masterpiece. It's <laughs> better than uh, than the CGI in Justice League. Yeah, like if you like, take a look at uh, at Ares and Wonder Woman, and you'll be, you'll be totally okay with it. Yeah. So, it's yeah, just like 
looks a little sloppy compared to the rest. Like what we've already well, seen. And I think sloppy. I watched a video of VFX artists reacting to it. And a lot of their reactions were just that it was the setting was hard to make good CG in. And, and they spend a lot of time talking about how when you're doing CG, you got to think about what are you putting on film? What is your lighting? What is your location? Because you can make it hard to make convincing CG based on the setting you choose. Um, and they spend a lot of time talking about how directors don't necessarily always do their effects artists any favors. Um, and that was the angle they took with this scene. Not that it was necessarily poorly done, but it, they were given a hard task. There's a reason a lot of big CGI fight scenes happen in the dark and in the rain. And it's a lot easier to mask stuff than it is. And I I can't remember if we talked about this in the actual episode or if we were talking about this before we actually started recording, but uh, I was less disappointed than I remember being disappointed in the last time I, uh, when I watched this movie uh, to prepare Agreed. for this episode. I, I watched it good. oh, you know, this final fight is not as bad as I remember it. And I was like, it's, uh, I, I compared it to Wonder Woman in that I think that Wonder Woman is a really good movie with a so-so climax, uh, climactic battle, at least. And that was kind of how I felt about Black Panther, is that it's a very good movie with a climactic battle that is okay. But watching it this time, I feel like this, what this has over Wonder Woman is that there are a lot of great individual character moments throughout this that make you at least, even if it doesn't look great, you care about what's going on. Uh, and even though this is perhaps part of the reason that the CGI is noticeably... Uh, well, is noticeable. Um, I actually really enjoy that it is in bro in broad daylight out on this African plain. I think that's a really, really kind of a cool way to do it. That there's you know, there's not a cloud in the sky uh, while this fight is happening, and it's it's different, and I like that. I think CGI isn't necessarily a strength of this movie, but I appreciate it because it feels like of all the things that needed to kind of take a little bit of a hit to elevate everything else, the CGI was one like it was like a casualty. And I'll take that casualty every time uh -huh. because the rest of this yeah. oh, yeah. is just so well it done is. that this being a small little part of it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of it. You I can give us war rhinos. That's great. Right. Can, <laughs> like in almost all situations, as far as entertainment medium goes, you can forgive like less than stellar graphics because other things Agreed. make up for it. Like we all still play retro yep. video games because we like the way the video game plays. It doesn't matter that it looks like shit compared to what we have now. Mm -hmm. Like, not every game has to look like God of War. I'll still go back and play Super Mario World. I don't think Super Mario looks like shit, but comparatively, right? Comparatively, there's there's not as much art involved in that. Yeah, I, I, special effects can date a movie, but if special effects that you watch, you know, if you watch an old movie and the special effects ruin that movie for you, chances are they didn't work then either. Yes. Yeah. And chances are it's not a and good enough movie. movie's good enough, yeah, you are transit. Exactly what you said. Yep. We're on the same page here. Uh, example I could think of, totally different genre, but I love the movie The Birds. That movie does not have very good special effects, but it I, the first time I watched it, it was still scary, even though the effects weren't that good, because the movie is so well made and every other thing that the effects didn't detract from it for me. And I understand that it's going to be different for every person. And, and I think that this movie, even though the, you know, the special effects towards the end aren't great, it barely, you know, it's just like a note yes. in my head. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. The CG is not that great. Yeah, I will agree with that. So. 
So Black Panther, T'Challa, cleverly uses his advantage and strikes a killing blow on Killmonger. Um, Unjaka expresses his dying wish to see the sunset on Wakanda, and T'Challa takes him there. Unjaka refuses T'Challa's offer of healing, choosing to die there. And at this point, we get, in my, in this podcaster's opinion, the most powerful line in the entire MCU. And I don't think it's right for me to say it. I don't think I could do it justice. So we called in Michael B. Jordan. It's beautiful. Maybe we can still heal you. Why? So you can just lock me up? No. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. Mm. That was my, when I left that movie, I left with my jaw on the floor at the end of this, specifically this line. I was so amazed that an MCU movie could make me feel the way this movie makes me feel. I didn't realize that a movie about a superhero could make me feel such complex emotions and could take me to this kind of a place like this movie, like this line in particular. And this line is just representative to me of the movie as a whole and why I think the movie is so important because it does so many things that the rest of the MCU does not. And it's not just that it does them differently, it's that it does them differently and exceeds expectations and nails it while it's doing all of these different things. It also nails its MCU-ness. It does both of them, and it does them both, in my opinion, close to perfection. It is so important for small children we're going, to, we're going to circle back to culture here, but if you think about why this movie is important, it is important for children in superhero movies to be able to see themselves on the screen. It is important for there to be relatable superheroes on the screen at any point, right? I think about myself, and I think about the role models that I had when I was younger, and I think about how important and how, how wonderful it would have been to see somebody who looked like me on the screen. Now, Granted, I am not, you know, a, a person of African-American descent, but I still am able to relate with the idea of having somebody, you know, I want kids one day and I want my kid to be able to look at the screen and see somebody that looks like him and that understands his culture and understands his perspective. And I think it's really important. I think this, this line right here just delivers uh, a, a perspective and it is a perspective that you cannot get in any other Marvel movie. And it is a perspective that you cannot get in almost movies in general. And I think that's what really sets this movie apart is that it is, we are not just talking about Marvel movies anymore. We're talking about a movie that sets itself apart 
from almost any other movie in cinema. We are talking about characters who are Black and who set this, this world up, this, this world of culture and appreciation, and the characters are not told from a point of a sort of oppression. This isn't a movie about necessarily slavery. It is not a, a, a timepiece about civil rights. It is a movie celebrating. African Americans celebrating people of African descent. It is a, it is a celebration and not just a timepiece of remembrance. And I think that's so important. And it is so important to have this line in here to to demonstrate that perspective. Yeah, I uh, first of all, I can't think of another comic book movie in general where, like, I tear up when the bad guy dies. Right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and that is such an, an effective moment. Uh, and then speaking to the larger, you know, topic of representation, uh, I mean, you could be pedantic and say, hey, what about Blade? And yeah, Blade, comic movies when Blade was a movie are not the same thing as comic book movies now. Uh, and Blade, I think most people don't even know it was a comic book movie. It was a vampire action movie. And not, this is not to take anything away from Wesley Snipes uh, for Blazing a Trail being a leading man in a big in a big action movie like that but that was an r-rated action movie based on a comic book this was a comic book movie at a time when comic movies are the biggest thing in cinema right now or movies if you don't want to call it cinema marty um you know him everyone calls him marty <laughs> um, oh, okay. this is one of the movies i would use to rebut his uh his assertion that comic movies aren't cinema uh, I think we've had a couple. The, the, I think our last few episodes are all examples of that, actually. But uh, that's a whole other time. Well, and I'm also thinking. But at a time, I, I, I also take umbrage with okay. the the role. The same thing. You're going to tell me this movie was the same movie as Thor Ragnarok? Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. These movies came out months <laughs> apart and couldn't have been more different. And, and came out after the high school teen comedy superhero movie, which came out after the completely different sad space raccoon movie uh you know so so yeah they're all different but i digress going back to back to representation i i i know that for a lot of people uh a lot of kids especially uh this is their first time seeing a movie where the majority of the cast look like them and and i and i've, I've said this before that as a white guy named chris i am the most represented person in superhero movies um, definitely the most represented person for fake name tags at disney world that too yeah uh tied for there's, uh, there's uh, the pats the of the pat. <laughs> yeah um but yeah so i mean i can go back to the 70s and watch superman and be like his name's chris too just like me uh so so that's a problem i've never personally had but i i like Bailey, I go out and whenever I see a movie or watch a show, I then go home and read all the think pieces I can find. Uh, I enjoy hearing people discuss things and re and, re and reading people's thoughts and, and different perspectives. And I, I saw enough people talk about how much it meant to them to see themselves in this movie in a way that that maybe they hadn't before. And that's not to really say that... Really quick, there's literally a hashtag that was like, hashtag what Black Panther means to me. So anyone can go look at that and see people yeah. of color talk about what Black Panther means to them. Um, I think it got a decent amount of tweets. Yeah, there was also a hashtag Killmonger was right, but we won't talk about <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, and, and, and what I think was... 
makes it especially powerful is that clearly that this movie also I, I you know you don't have to be African American to feel spoken to by this movie. You don't have to be a minority even to be spoken to by this movie because it does deal in a lot of great universal themes. Um, but it comes at it from an angle of cultural specificity that that makes it unique. And I think that if you tell a story with a specific viewpoint, even if it's a viewpoint that uh, that you yourself have not had in your life, that makes it more enjoyable and more interesting and in a way more universal than just trying to say, well, we'll make this movie so that it appeals to everyone and trying to you know make it look like everything else. And I don't just mean color-wise, I mean just like style, whatever. You know, if you try to make it like everything that's worked before, that becomes boring. But if someone comes in with a unique perspective, and I think, again, broadly getting back to Robbie's point about Thor Ragnarok and these other Marvel movies, that none of them look the same as other Marvel movies. And they're all very well received. And, and I think that this is another facet of that. One that just happened to have also, you know, kind of struck a nerve in a good way culturally and, and that's why this movie was such a moment uh, like it felt like a big cultural moment when this movie came out and, and there's a reason that the academy which uh, in addition to uh normally you know having a very kind of narrow cultural viewpoint uh you know from from like a racial perspective i mean if anyone remembers hashtag oscar so white a few years ago um or you know this year that you know, and how how it, it does seem like there is, uh, proportionally there's something off with with what's getting recognized by the academy, and that's and that speaks to who is in the academy and all and all this other thing, and then there's a whole that that's a podcast in and of itself, uh, but they also have sort of a cultural blind spot to anything that is not a period drama. It feels like, you know, there are movies that you know are Oscar movies, like oh this one's about the Holocaust, Oscar movie. Oh, this one is about someone who survived abuse. Oscar movie. Oh, this one is uh, a, based on a true story. Oscar movie. Comic book movies get ignored. Comedies get ignored. Horror gets ignored. Every once in a while, one makes such an impact that it can't be ignored. Get Out with uh, uh, was a horror movie that broke through because it was a cultural moment. Uh, and Black Panther is a comic book movie that broke through because it was a cultural moment. And somehow Joker, too. Uh, apparently but that's a whole other <laughs> story um you know so so i i think it really speaks to the impact that this movie had that it was so big that even the oscars were like yeah hey. you know it got more than just the token technical nods that comic movies get it got best picture be, uh, uh nominated for best picture it got it won for best score it won for best production design it was it got more than just the your cgi was good and the sound was mixed well awards that superhero and sci-fi movies usually get this movie is really important to me and i think it's important to a lot of people out there and you know on the same topic chris michael b jordan should have been nominated for this one right yep michael b jordan should have been denai guerrero should have been uh, Chadwick Boseman, I think you can make an argument he should have been. Those three are the ones that come to mind that I was like, you know, if the Academy had noticed them, I would have been very happy, even if they hadn't won. I don't remember what what was up for the acting awards that year. I'm not saying any of them could have or, or should have won. I don't know. I never see as many movies as I say I want to. So when the Oscars come out, I'm like, okay, yeah, of course that got nominated. I didn't see it, whatever. Uh, but watching this movie and, and those three performances in particular 
stick out to me as worthy of recognition. Oh, is that the year of Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody? Yes. No, um, that was... Was it? Yeah, because this came out in 2018, right? So would it be the 2019 Oscars? Uh, oh, let, uh, I'm going to look it up now because if, if Green Book beat ba- Black Panther, that's even worse than... Oh, this came out in 2017. No, it came out in 2018. Did it? Uh, can I Google sure. fast enough? The 91st Academy Award. Yeah, that was the Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody year. And the favorite. So that was like that was a year of a lot of like heavy hitters because oh, Roma exactly came right. out. Yeah, so the best oh, picture gotcha, nominees right. yeah. were Green, Green Book, Book beat Black Panther. That's right. And Black <laughs> Klansman, um, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. So, yeah, that that's a whole other thing because I remember the controversy around Green Book winning because that was a that was an academy the academy saying look, we care about progressive issues. We care about racial representation. We, we voted for this movie about a white guy learning not to be racist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and based on a true story and the family of the black man that the movie is about did not care for the movie and was not involved in the production of the movie. And I just remember it just kind of being one of those things where right, it's like... racism is over. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought racism ended when 12 Years a Slave won. I remember, I forget who hosted that year but i remember them coming out with a joke and say oh we're gonna find out now if uh if 12 years of slave 12 years of slave wins the oscar or if the academy is full of racists and uh... so after this point we get the sort of the 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 closing down of the movie closing time uh tatala establishes a wakandan embassy in unjobu's oakland apartment building we then again are two two credit scenes. The first one is the mid credit scene. T'Challa appears before the UN, uh, the Vienna Assembly Hall, where his father died, to offer to finally open Wakanda's resources to the world. He smiles wearily. Riley. 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 You picked this weird words. I picked normal words. What did you call the fight? The best word. A skirmish. It was not a war. It's one battle. It's, a, it's sorry. The kerfuffle. It, anyways. <laughs> It ends with him smiling. <laughs> when a member of the assembly asks what Wakanda could possibly offer, I got shades of end of Iron Man 1 Tony Stark uh-huh. in this scene, right? Like, this feels very, the two feel very similar. And Robbie, how would you think the world would react if a sudden superpower just popped up out of a third world country? I'm not sure how I think they'd react. I want to ask everyone. I mean, this is something... I was kind of toying with as a thought around the movie, and then Bailey texted me about it. It's like, okay, yeah, so we're going to talk about this. Because um, it's, it's played pretty casually in the MCU, but I don't, I don't think it would go off casually if suddenly a nation in Africa just one day said, oh, by the way, we're actually really rich and have super advanced weapons, and we've just been keeping it to ourselves for a while, and we would like to be more involved on the national stage, please. I... There would, at the very least, be some economic economic espionage. Um, I'm thinking quite possibly open aggression. Um, yeah, specifically, how country? do you think the United yes. States would react? Not well. Right, <laughs> right now? Uh, Ever? I, right I mean, now? I think in a lot matter. of ways, Not well. we'd treat it the way we would act to, like, aliens landing. It's... I mean, it, it, that's some mind-blowing stuff, and I don't think it would be dealt with maturely, but I'd like to hear from you guys. It would completely alter the power structure yes. of the world, really. 
Uh, and it's a shame we don't get to explore this because the next movie, yep, we get the snap, which completely alters everything. So now I, I'm, I hope we get to see how that's dealt with in yep. Black Panther 2, but I'm afraid that instead what we're going to see is recovering yes. from the blip instead. You think they'll keep going on with that for movie after movie? I thought that was the Far know. From Home like that's that's the we'll tackle this in Far From Home and then we'll never talk I'm about glad it. They don't again. call it decimation. Well, I think anymore. it's important. I think it's important for Black Panther specifically because it's important to see what happened to Wakanda in the five years where T'Challa wasn't king. Like, did Shuri take the throne? I, I assume well, Shuri, Shuri was gone too. Was she part of the snap? Yeah, Shuri got so snapped. Was Okoye in charge of everything? Was his mom in charge of everything? What happened to the country when he comes back? Yeah. Just climb back onto the throne and pretend like nothing happened. Like, I think that. I, I'm excited to see yeah. what Black Panther 2 does to kind of tackle those things. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's just a sh- I feel like it's a shame that they have to deal with that instead of dealing with the realities of Wakanda now being part well, of the world community. And I have sure. to imagine, even with this movie, even with the existence of this movie, they're not ready for the MCU to actually deal with the heavy, dark stuff that would be other countries not being okay with Wakanda announcing itself. There would be what should be treated with, and I wish we would do this movie, but it should be treated with um, excitement about their generosity that they're going to show and and is probably going to be treated with fear. Um, I think that the racial aspect of it definitely plays a part in that, unfortunately. I, I just, I, I, it would be so destabilizing and I don't think it would be handled well and Bailey hasn't spoken up yet. I mean, you took my point and then you said all of the things that I would say. Yeah, I, I think the U.S., I, I don't know if they would initiate anything, but I could imagine the president, whoever that may be, <laughs> I didn't saying, even think of that. Something along the, saying something along the lines of, like, they say that they want to be generous now, but who knows what they'll yeah, do right. next yeah. week. Like, we can't trust these, these people that have been lying to us. And I can see not... I can see not like necessarily that. just outright invading, but like trying to pro- trying to provoke them into you know almost Korean War style of trying to trying to get this to start trying to get something to happen where we can be justified in beginning this. Um, yeah, man. And also while we're at it, and I know why because it's got to be accurate to the comic, but um, for an advanced nation, they've got a really really backwards form of government where. Yeah, what did you mean by backwards form of government? So, um, not only are they still a monarchy, but it's solved through ritual combat. Um, <laughs> I don't think that makes it backwards. I think that's just a different culture and how the other culture handles things. I mean, who's to say that how the United States does things? Is uh, who is to well, say that? Bailey, who said is... that? <laughs> Who's to say it's the most the way the United States does it is the most civilized? Again, I I, also, I think I all the things the United States does the best <laughs> are bad things. So, <laughs> Chris, you look like you also had something to say about this backwards nation. Yeah, uh, my antho major is about to come out a little bit. Um, you know, that's you know, it's kind of an ethnocentric viewpoint to say that oh, they're backwards for doing it that way. Oh, they're primitive, and I think also the implication that I got at least is that. There hasn't actually been a challenge in yeah, generations and generations. Right. I think, yeah. yeah so okay it's more that. of a traditional, you know, symbolic thing when they when they have challenge day, and that uh, 
Mbaku coming down and challenging is the first time that this has actually happened, and that's why everyone is shocked. And and even though he came down to challenge, he yielded. He didn't make T'Challa kill him. So yeah. he still has you can and you don't know this right away, but throughout the rest of the course of the movie, you realize that Mbaku does have respect for the Black Panther. Yeah. Etc. And you also just see uh, uh, this part of T'Challa's character evolution and how he is moving on from the way kings of the past have done it, that he's the first Black Panther to actually visit Jabari land and, and, and show them respect. And he, and he, he gets him to yield because he says, your people right. need you. And, and then he's the first one to go in and, you know, it's like the first step to him revealing Wakanda to the world is mending his, his, the divisions within his own nation as well. And, and I think that's important. Uh, but, but getting back to the point about it being primitive, I, I took it as to be symbolic, but it's one of those things where it didn't change. So it's like, well, okay, and that's how it's done. And it's not influenced by the outside world. It works for them. And Yeah, maybe that is the best way to do a monarchy because, like, you know, maybe there's people out there that would like to have rituals. I, I mean, what if, <laughs> what if we England and they can't ooh, do anything ooh, about it? No, let's do it tomorrow. I would love to see our version of that. I would love to see our version of that with all the current politicians. <laughs> you can... Let's get everybody around a waterfall and let's watch what happens. There aren't many people I think I could beat in a fight, but what I am saying is you can start calling me Mr. President tomorrow. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fight specifically on the waterfall, the first one. That's another really great Shuri moment where he asks if anybody like wants to try for the throne and she puts her hand up and she talks about how they need to wrap it up and go home. <laughs> yeah. Of course, that is uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so we get the second post-credit scene next. Bucky Barnes awakens in an isolated camp in Wakanda and is met by Shuri to help him with his mental reprogramming. All right. I'm going to bring up the how it fits in the MCU. I'm going to move it up. I'm going to talk about it now because I want to talk about mm -hmm. the scene. Because to me, this is the first scene we get any real true mention of the rest of the MCU. You could argue a little bit with um, Ross and Claw. I would argue... That and the first scene, too, because they recap what happened in Civil War. Absolutely. But yeah. I would argue that Claw is not an MCU character in Black Panther. I would argue the scenes that Claw is in in the other movies are a Black Panther character I agree. being in the I agree. MCU. And I think this movie, besides this Bucky Barnes scene, stands very far away from the rest of the MCU while still following a lot of the same formula and, you know, having a lot of similarities. I think it is not an MCU movie by a traditional sense. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I, I think how it fits in the MCU is two very interesting ways. One is outside the screen, how it fits in the MCU socially, how important it was. Um, probably, I, I am going to assume, brought in new audiences to the MCU, um, expanded the MCU's reach, and I, 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 you better than I did already touched on how socially important it was. And that's important for the scope of the MCU. But also it introduced something else that I think is important to the MCU. and how So it didn't introduce a MacGuffin like an Infinity Stone or something. But what it did give us is somewhere in the late 90s, really kind of starting with Phantom Menace, your big fantasy films needed your big epic, um, your big epic clash between two armies that, that only a computer could program. And, and that, that's a mainstay in you know, big fantasy franchises. You saw them in Lord of the Rings, you saw them in Star Wars. And at some point, it was inevitable, and we knew probably in the next movie after this one, 
or or so, it was inevitable we were going to need that in the MCU because at its heart, it is it is comic book movies, but these are fantasy films, and the expectation now is you have your big epic clash in the fantasy film at some point. But there was no army that could be used for that until Black Panther and introducing the Wakandan army that has no, you know, it's it's it. We don't have to get the permission of the U.S. government to use the Wakandan army in our film. Um, it, it gives us technology that can stand up to something like an alien invasion. Um, and it made, it allowed us to have those big uh, war scenes that we got in Infinity War and um, Endgame that I think are actually important to making those films what they are. And Black Panther established that. Other than that, I do I completely agree with you that it's pretty separate, but I do think how it influenced the next couple of films is still important. I would go even farther. I would say not only does it influence the next couple of films, it is a catalyst for the like log of films and TV shows that we're getting. I think without Black, Black Panther, we don't get Captain Marvel the way it is. I don't think we get Miss Marvel. I don't think we get Shang-Chi. I don't think we get She-Hulk. I think Black Panther is important for all of those other movies that are coming next. Yeah, and quite possibly even beyond the Marvel movies. I mean, this movie is, I think, domestically the fourth highest grossing movie of all time. Still, number four movie domestically of all time. Uh, so, I mean, that's huge. And um, I think it it being part of the MCU, but also being very largely a standalone movie that you don't need to have seen any of the other movies to understand. And you get the relevant bit of Civil War at the very beginning as, as exposition. Uh, and I think Robbie's right in that this did bring in a lot of people who maybe didn't care about the Marvel movies before. Uh, so I think it, and this has kind of been a theme with a lot of the movies we've been talking about lately. It does stand on its own while being part of the whole, and I think that that is, a, you know, a delicate balancing act that is very important for the MCU going forward, and especially whenever they introduce a new, uh, a new hero, a new franchise, however you want to look at it, um, because every movie is somebody's first Marvel movie, and it's, uh, you know, this was a good one to be someone's first because. Again, you could have watched it with no prior yeah. knowledge. And, you know, there are a couple minor jokes that might have gone over your head or something. Uh, but other than that, it is very much its own thing. And and that is to its credit. And I think that we will see going forward that this is going to have an impact on, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe moving forward. I think that T'Challa and and all the all the characters. I mean, we even saw. I mean, Okoye was on the poster for Endgame. I mean, that's uh, it's a big deal that these characters are going. To, they're they're all being set up to be important players, not just within the Black Panther movies that we will be getting, but the whatever whatever crossovers we get in the future. I think that and Wakanda is going to be an important part of that as well. So let's. I have nothing to add, Your Honor. <laughs> So let's, allow, but watch yourself, counselor. Let's move on to MVPs. This is going to be uh, it'll be an interesting one because there's a lot of crossover here. But Chris, we'll start with you. Who's your MVP for this movie? Yeah, I actually wrote, and I've kind of alluded to this earlier. I said that this is actually the hardest MVP I think I've had to do for any of these movies, um, save for maybe maybe Avengers. I don't know. Um, I think Killmonger does get it based on the strength of his last scene, his death scene, and the. Uh, and the scene on the ancestral plane, and uh, you know Michael B. Jordan's performance is great, and again Seth Carr as young Eric, also great in his 
in his you know couple scenes that he gets. Uh, but I said I could also make equally compelling arguments for Okoye, uh, for T'Challa, and for Shuri. In particular, those are those are the uh, the three characters. And if Sterling K. Brown had been in more than two scenes, uh, I mean, it would be hard not to give it to him. I think too. Robbie, what about you? I think that's interesting because to me, this was one of the easiest MVPs. Despite being there being tons of great performances in this, I just don't think any of them compare to. Um, to Killmonger. I think he is head and shoulders above the rest of the film. Eduardo, you disagree? Why would I disagree? Me? <laughs> of all people? I know, you, I know you don't. I was trying to pretend there's drama. Uh, there is no drama. <laughs> weirdly. Uh, no, 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 no drama. It, for me, it's Killmonger. I think I've already spoken enough about the character and how jacked he is. But <laughs> <laughs> With his kill beads. Speaking of jacked Killmonger, do you like how close his costume is to Vegeta? Yeah, that's intentional. Yeah, I know. Oh I like yeah, that. I forgot. That's I, a, that's I, intentional when he's um, when in he his, breaks um, his heist out, scene. Yeah, when he heists him out. Yeah, he's supposed to. That's supposed to be Vegeta. Like it's supposed to be influenced by Vegeta. Why? Uh, there's a Michael B. Jordan is a huge DBZ. Nerd. He's an animator. Yeah. He loves anime. Is that literally it? That's it. That is literally <laughs> the reason. Yeah. I mean that's fine, but that's cool and random. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Love here, I'll, it. I'll find the as the resident Dragon Ball Z fan here. Yeah, I do love it. I guess I'll look up the picture after I say that Killmonger is also my MVP of this movie. It's weird what? that it's weird that um like and if you've listened all the way from the beginning of these until this episode, it, it, you've you've all you've probably already noticed that most of the time we don't pick the title character. Um, for the MVP, it's like actually more rare that we pick the title character than not. Um, but if you think about all of the great characters in this movie, um, like T'Challa is one of the last people I'd pick for MVP, and I and I love but I love T'Challa. Like he's a great character, but there's so many other great ones in this movie that it's he's like not even top tier. That's kind of what and I was saying earlier. Great. Like he, yeah, he's just doing his best. But everyone yeah. around him is so much more interesting. He's just yeah, he's just doing his best, and, trying to be king. That's it. And he's still cool. And he's still cool. But no, it's Killmonger. And and while I don't agree with his philosophy, which I will touch on a little bit when I give you guys my rating, um, I think that he is is validated in the way that he portrays his feelings, and he just does a great job of. Um, like he, his whole performance is just a great job. It's, it's hard to say anything different than that. So, all right, Bailey, be the one that doesn't agree with us. Um. So mine is Shuri. I am the only one that picked a woman, even though it's mostly okay. women in this movie. Okay. I mean, it is hard to argue that Killmonger isn't one of the best characters of the movie or just the MCU. Um. But I picked. Shuri because she is the coolest and hippest MCU character. Not just because of that, but it is a fun bonus. Um, she also is the the brains behind the whole operation, behind Wakanda, behind the Black Panther. Um, and she is very young. I think, did they say how old she is? She's clearly like a teenager or something. I want to say she's like 16, but I don't Yeah, know. she's probably like 16, 17. She's literally the smartest MCU character. And because she's so young, 
and she's just 16. Kind of had a small supporting role. I'm excited to see where she ends up going forward. Um, but I picked her just because, you know, she she does everything. She's so smart. And T'Challa, what, is, what does he do, to be honest? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to pepper this in, in this time when 80% of us said Killmonger. Uh, did you guys end up wanting to know about the bumps? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is an article that I found somewhere on the internet. There's a a tribe in Papua New Guinea, uh, the Chambri. I did that on purpose. This is comedy. Okay. Uh, They have like a thousand people in their tribe. And uh, they do this ritual uh, because they believe that humans evolved from crocodiles. And that's because they believe that that animal, the crocodile, has a special place in their mythos. So what they do uh, is they take people into what they call a spirit house. And they're in the spirit house for like six weeks while this happens. They make two centimeter long incisions across the bodies. uh, And they fill them with clay and tree oil. uh, And that's how those get stretched out. And then smoke gets blown into the nicks to keep them bumpy. Wow. Yeah. That's more work than I thought. <laughs> yes. Way more than Kilby. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of tribes that do more that than... apparently, but I guess the 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 um, Chambri tribe is where it is said to have originated. It's also more work than a hot uh, clothes hanger. It is more work than a hot clothes hanger. Yes. Yeah. All right. The Famous expression. (laughs) (laughs) We'll move on to our ratings. Robbie, start us off. What are you going to rate Black Panther? Uh, Probably a little higher than I would have before rewatch. It is just a small hair behind my absolute favorite MCU movies at this point. Um, So with that, I'm going to give it 8.5 masks that Michael B. Jordan is feeling out of 10. How about you, Peaches? I'm really feeling this. I'm really feeling it. <laughs> the Incredible Shulk. So, so this is another. This is one of those movies where I had to think about the rating a little bit, and and honestly, uh, I'll just say I I gave it nine Bugatti spaceships out of ten, <laughs> and I think I think the reason it doesn't go higher than nine for me is as compelling. And I know I just said MVP is Killmonger, and he is the most compelling character. As compelling as he is, I never feel like. His plan gets carried out far enough that the movie that I am threatened. Yeah, I don't feel like his plan will ever succeed because it never gets to a point uh, where it feels like the rest of the world is in danger because everything gets resolved very quickly. Yeah, and so I think for that reason, I give it nine out of ten instead of something higher. But it's still a great like I don't have a problem with that. It just doesn't feel because of the character more. Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel dangerous overall to me because it's handled quickly. Does that make sense? Yes. I think that makes sense. I mean, I disagree with it. Yeah, but you I think still look sense. upset. <laughs> no, I th- no, I don't I'm, I don't want to argue with anybody's rating here because you can rate it however you want. I can I disagree, but if that's the way that you feel, that's the way you feel. Well, like it like I guess if I compare it to um not like I can't compare it to any Marvel movie and have this justification, but if I compare it to the like the fact that the snap in Infinity War actually happens and then there's repercussions and then they have to fix those repercussions. Like, there's a lot of stuff that happens in Wakanda, but then 
um, Killmonger's plan is to take this to the rest of the world, and it never even makes it out of Wakanda. And that's and that's why I feel like it's resolved super quickly. I think that's by design. I think they are yeah. intentionally telling a story that is contained within Wakanda. And if you were to like oh, yeah. bring it out to the rest of the world, it would. I wouldn't say defeat the purpose. That's not the correct. That's not the correct phrase. But it would be not be what the movie's trying. It's not the story that the movie's trying to tell. So yeah, and, and I get that. And for you, that knocks a point off. For me, it doesn't knock a point off yeah. at all. Yeah. All right, Chris. Spoiler. Well, I just bumped it up half a point after talking about it for two hours. Um, <laughs> Nine point five war rhinos out of ten. Say two hours, but we also before two hours talked about it for fifty. No, we did this all at once. That's true. <laughs> That's what I said. I didn't. I didn't say that we did it a different time. I said before the two hours we spent fifty minutes talking about it. Uh, if it's a shock to anyone, I give Black Panther ten colonizers out of ten. I don't think. I think this. I think this will be the only MCU movie that I give a ten out of ten to. I think I'm going to take some issue with every single movie that comes after this, but this movie to me is is. It, it, perfect to me for me it is a perfect movie in my eyes and it can be different for anybody and i think that's the the one great thing about black panther is black panther is one of those movies that everybody can view from a different lens and come out with a different feeling for whereas some of the other marvel mcu movies you all look and you've all seen basically the same movie you can walk away looking at it basically having seen the same movie whereas this one somebody who has never seen themselves on screen before can feel one way and somebody who can see it from the eyes of Ross can see it in a different way. And somebody who can see it saying, oh, look at all the women there in this movie can see it from that perspective. I think the, what makes this movie great to me is all the different perspectives you can come away with after watching this movie. Bailey, what's your rating? I gave it 10 royal sandals out of 10. Um, so. What are those? <laughs> I'm glad you did that because I was not going to, but I was hoping someone else would. <laughs> um, like Eduardo, I like this movie a lot. I think it has a lot of different things going for it. I think it is a great movie for the casual MCU fan uh, because some movies are harder to watch than others if you're not really invested. Um, like I said earlier, I love a good think piece. This movie gives you a lot to think about. Um, this movie has a lot of minority representation. It has a lot of women doing things besides being love interests um and it's just a cool movie to watch like it looks cool the actors are cool the characters are cool the music is cool um yeah 10 out of 10 would watch again we've already watched it like twice this week <laughs> but just once uh we'll go with our rankings i'll start because it'll be really easy for me to tell you that it is at the top of my list and I do not imagine it going anywhere. Um, for me, like I said, it's just behind my absolute favorite. So right now, the kind of established top tier um, is Guardians 2, Avengers, Winter Soldier, and then Guardians. Uh, this movie slides into my top five um, for now. Um, it bumps Doctor Strange out of the top five. Eduardo, I noticed that you removed the Eduardo movie from your... <laughs> I did. I thought it wasn't fair. Oh. It was just so that Black Panther could be first because Florida like was still been first. Where's the rank for you, Chris? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's uh, number five for me as well. And honestly, the more I look at my rankings, the more I'm like, mm, am I going to rethink all of these? <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, so much of my rankings depends on the, my mood. 
and I'm trying to think, okay, what would I sit down and watch? But I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to even do it. So I've been ranking it. I don't know. But number five right now, right behind Captain America, the first Avenger. I have it in fourth place right now, uh, behind Spider-Man Homecoming, but before the first Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm realizing looking at this, and this happened, uh, I guess, two episodes, three episodes ago. Um, that when we did the initial episode, and here's a spoiler alert, here's a foreshadowing spoiler-ish alert. When we did the first episode and we talked about our top five favorite Marvel movies, I already have one of them that will not get to the top five. I think that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. It, it already cannot possibly make it to five. Is it the, uh, the first Iron Man? more things in front of it. It is. Iron Man 1. Yep. I know mine has changed a little bit, too. Mine has also no, changed. mine has, too. Yeah. Uh, this is definitely higher, and I don't think Black Panther is going to stay in the top. In fact, I know it's not over the next two episodes. But Black Panther is not going to stay in my top five. But I don't think it would have been this close before rewatching. Um, and Guardians Two was not my favorite before rewatching. Do you really have strong feelings about Ant Man and the Wasp? Actually, oh, I forgot about Ant Man and the Wasp. Okay, <laughs> same until a uh, couple days ago. Honestly, so then I think I just answered your question. <laughs> Can I do mine? Yeah, so yeah, this is interesting. Bailey's gonna do her full one because we haven't. She yeah, hasn't been I haven't on been on in quite some time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this was really difficult because I feel like my ranking um, when I did the Ant Man episode that was really easy because there's so many like neutral, forgettable movies at the beginning, but it was really hard to fit in the last movies that you guys have done. Um, so I might surprise change it like while talking. <laughs> so <laughs> number one, I have. Black Panther. Number two, I have Avengers. And then I have Ant-Man. Then I have the first Avenger. Then I have Civil War. Then I have Ragnarok. Then Spider-Man Homecoming. And I think I'm going to put Winter Soldier before Guardians because I listened to your guys' Guardians 2 episode on the way to work yesterday and I was having a lot of deep thinking because my commute is an hour. <laughs> and <laughs> I need to be honest with myself. I do not like the plot of either Guardians movie. I think they're both kind of boring. I don't even know what either one is about. But I really, really love the characters in the Guardians movies. Like, they all are very interesting. Like, I like them as character pieces. But the plot, like, I don't care about. Like, you guys, like, argued about Guardians 2 forever. And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't get any of this out of this movie. So I think I'm going to put Winter Soldier above Guardians, but I love the Guardians character so much, which is why I have it as high as I do. So it's Guardians, then Guardians 2, then Thor, then Iron Man, then the half of Doctor Strange that I watched before falling asleep, then Age of Ultron, then Iron Man 2, then Iron Man 3, then Thor the Dark World, and then Hulk. I just can't get behind Hulk. <laughs> It's okay. Nobody else can. I will stay with the Hulk opinion that literally I have it. Sense. I have it above Iron Man 2, Eduardo. Hey! <laughs> I, I had to leave that. the room during Hulk. It was so boring. I also have Oh, I have it above Dark World, too. Oh, that's right. Peach, I forgot you and I had yeah, basically same. the same rankings for a long time. Phase mm -hmm. 2 screwed that up, but... Yeah. Yeah, this, is a, this episode was a lot. At least we have a really light movie next to talk about that doesn't have anything crazy going on. I feel like I have nothing to say about it. 
that'll be like five it hours features, long. It literally features one of my favorite comic book characters, and I have nothing to say about it. We should just skip that episode, honestly, if, we're, if we don't know what to say about it. <laughs> What's the point? Uh... Does it even fit in the MCU? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. The post credit scene does. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, oh, wait, I'm skipping. No. Oh, right. Is it next? No, next is Infinity War. Yes, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. And Were then you it's joking Infinity about Infinity. the wrong stuff, Robbie? Yes, I was. <laughs> yeah, we've got, a, we've got a few more movies to do. And then after that, who knows? This podcast is reaching its... It's sort of its climax here. We're, we're getting towards the uh, the end. In a few weeks, we'll be, uh, we'll be there, and then we'll see what happens after that. Maybe we'll tackle another franchise. It's going to take you guys like 20 episodes to get through in-game. It will take a while. So <laughs> we there, Don't worry. There's plenty of stuff to still talk about, but after that, who knows? I know we're going to end up talking about the, uh, probably talking about the TV shows. I'd love to talk about those, with the Disney Plus shows, when those come out. Um, and then who knows after that? Maybe we'll find something new to talk about. Maybe we'll do a new podcast. Maybe some of us won't even be here. Maybe Bailey will take the hosting of a podcast, and I'll take a night off. Who knows? The only way to find out, though, is to keep listening. So keep <laughs> subscribed to Assembly Required. That's going to do it for myself, for Peaches, for Robbie, for Chris, for Bailey. You can email the show, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com, at assemblycast on Twitter. D underscore Peaches, Phil Kid 3, Gator Sacks 2010, Bailey Kins, and at ABC Eduardo 1. That's going to do it for everybody on this podcast. We love you, 3000. See you, everybody. Excelsior. Hell Hydra. Boobly, boobly. And Bailey, you have to say, are you going to do ASMR?